Welcome to Dumb Love. I'm Sally Brooks. And I'm Jen O'Neill Smith, and this is a podcast about all the dumb things that people will do for love. So welcome to episode 36. Welcome back. How was your Valentine's? Yeah, beautiful. Wonderful. Full I of got love. Full of love. Well, mine was full of bugs. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> you guys, Sally bought me a cockroach. Well, no, she named a cockroach after me. If you remember our story from a few weeks ago, there was a story about El Paso, Texas. Yeah, for zoo. about the zoo where you could name a cockroach after your ex. And then they would feed it to the meerkats live on camera on Valentine's Day. And I was, I ruined the surprise because they sent the email to our joint email address, jumlovepod at gmail.com. And it was a receipt for, from El Paso Zoo. I was so confused because it had my name on it. And I was like, I swear to God, I didn't buy anything, Sally. I didn't do anything. (laughs) Jim was like, I don't know what this email is about. And I was like. I got you a cockroach. (laughs) It was so sweet. So for a minute, I had a cockroach named after me, but sadly, it was fed to a meerkat. Yep. Just like you've always wanted. Just like I've always wanted. Thank you, Sally. You're welcome. Happy Valentine's. (laughs) Uh, Should we get into our quickies? Let's do it. All right, Jen. Sal. Do (laughs) Do you have... Any dating horror stories? I remember you told us the story about the guy who made you stop eating. At yeah, the beach. there's that. Uh-huh. Um, but do you have anything, any fun dating story? I know it's been a long time. Uh, there was a time where I went on a date with this guy, Jason, and he was really nice and it was really sweet. We're having like a really nice dinner at uh-huh. this restaurant. It's all, it doesn't exist anymore, but it was called Carpe Diem. And then at the end of it, he felt that he had to tell me up front and let me know that he was married. <gasps> what? <laughs> yeah. But he, actually, but he swore that it was um, uh-uh. a green card marriage. He married his best friend. Uh-huh. So that, and I was just like, this is uh, too much, too confusing. And I think I'm just going to see myself out. Did you leave? No, I mean, like, see myself out. Of, I think we, like, went to the movies once as friends after that. Yeah. But I was, like, he was, like, I feel like you're really freaked out by the fact that I'm married. I'm, like, yeah, dude, I am. Like, <laughs> I, I know that it was a green card thing, but mm-hmm. I don't know. That's just, like, the recipe for... It's like watching yourself in a horror movie. Yes. It's, like, the recipe for, like, and then later finding out that he has seven children. Yes. And, you know what I mean? So I just... I was like, oh, I can't. I'm so proud of you. I Thank feel like you. every story we hear on Dumb Love, it, the woman would be like, and then I just believed him, and then, <laughs> yeah. and then he poisoned me. I watch way too much true crime to walk down that path. <laughs> That's amazing. Um, so I found this article on BuzzFeed that was about weird dates. Oh, and, yes. um, BuzzFeed. BuzzFeed, yeah. Love and it. so they made me giggle, and I wanted to share some of my favorite ones with you. Sure. This one, this is there's a poop warning on this one. Uh, we went to get sushi, and he just had to go back home to his place before drinks. Turned out we had to go back to his place because he was afraid of public restrooms. I sat alone in his living room listening to him straining while trying to poop. Oh, my God. He I then, know people like that. Right? Mm-hmm. I do, too. Yeah. You got to learn to poop other places, dude. Come on. 
Uh, he then realized he was out of toilet paper and texted <gasps> me to grab him a roll from upstairs. Let's not even get into the smell. Literally the shittiest date ever. Holy fuck. That's uh, crazy. From Erica. Okay, this is a guy named Rich says, on a blind date, this girl orders Caesar salad and eats it with her hands. Tells me she's, quote, not big into utensils. <laughs> After eating, she asks me if I've accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior and invites me to confession. Oh my God. Okay, I have one last one that's kind of crazy. So this was like a several part Twitter. A Twitter in three parts. A Twitter thread. Okay, that's, I think that's gotcha. what they call it. I think that's what the kids call it. I don't know. I'm so bad at Twitter. <laughs> Me too. I'm so bad. I've completely abandoned it. If you guys have followed us on Twitter, you might see how pathetic and sad it is. Because <laughs> I don't know what I'm doing. Yeah. We don't like it. <laughs> okay, so this is a guy. His name is Brian Abrams. And he said, she wanted to walk to the bars near where I, li- I live because it was nice out. By the end of the night, we were both pretty drunk, and it was now half half snow, half sleet, snowstorm, but she insisted on walking to my place anyways. Long story short, I woke up at the bottom of a hill near my apartment with two straight sprained ankles, phone dead, and had to crawl up the hill, wet and freezing, and walk home. Oh my God. Texted her later that day after overcoming my hypothermia, what the hell happened last night? She replied, sorry for pushing you down the hill. <gasps> I got scared. <gasps> She said she pushed me messing around and my drunk ass went down like a family guy exaggeration scene. She got scared and left. (gasps) I found the Timberland boots I was wearing 15 feet from me. Later, she texted to see if I wanted to go out on another date. Oh my God, she left him for dead. (laughs) Holy shit. Isn't that crazy? That's insane. And I actually went and looked at this guy's Twitter to be like, is this somebody making up a story for attention? But he's just some... He's just some guy. Like, he was just, like, he was answering all these people's questions, and he was not, like, he's just, like, a guy who likes sports. So he has, like, 200 followers or something. So it's, like, you know. I can just picture that girl's friends being, like, Julie fucking You left, left him? him? <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean? Yeah, like, like if we're still there? Yeah. Oh, my God. And he just, like, woke up, like, what? <laughs> That's insane. That's dude. a crazy one, right? Holy shit. I like, I remember it makes me feel a little bit better about this other date that I had. Um, also, a guy named Jason, different Jason, where I had tickets to Weezer. Uh-huh. And then I um, asked him if he wanted to go, and he went with me. And on the way home, when everyone's kind of caravanning out of there, yeah. like there was a bunch of cars like all lined up trying to get out of the theater. Yeah. Uh, my car died. And he, <laughs> like, at first gets out of the car, as I'm like, oh my God, I don't know what I'm going to do. Like, my car won't start, blah, blah, blah. And then another car was driving by that were his friends. And he got, and then in? He got in the car. And no he left way. me. He left me there and he went with these his friends and was no. like, Well, I'll see you later. I was like, You are a fucking twat. <laughs> He's like, that is a definition oh of a twat. Yes. And so yeah, like that was uh, fuck that guy. But fuck that guy. He it remind so uh, at least he didn't leave me for dead, but I could right. have been killed. You could have been killed. I could have been car killed. That's crazy. Did you say car cancer? No. I don't oh, know I thought you I said. said you could have been killed by car cancer. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, or from that. Yes. I was thinking a murderer, but also car cancer. <laughs> oh, man. That's a. I love your quickies. Okay. Are you ready for my quickies? Uh huh. 
Okay, so my quickie actually started out, I was going to write it a longer story, but it wasn't quite long enough. Okay. So it was from, there's an article in CBS Boston written by Jim Armstrong, but there's also an episode of Who the Bleep Did I Marry about this. Oh. Yeah. (laughs) Okay, so in 2001, Tabitha Howe, a mother of four from Greenville, New Hampshire, was out running errands. She was newly estranged from her longtime boyfriend, who was the father of her four children. His name was Scott Wellington. And so she was checking the P.O. box, and that was something that he usually did, but to now, you know, now she's on her own. She's yeah. taking care of business. She's taking care of business. P.O. box. But, um, and if you're wondering why they had a P.O. box, it's because the town was so small that they didn't have door-to-door mail service. People oh, so they had to. Yeah. But when she opened the mailbox, she found like the huge bills, junk mail. Uh-huh. And then she sees this card, like a Hallmark card looking thing. And it was around Easter. So she assumed that maybe it was like an Easter card from the grandparents to her kids. But when she opened it up, she sees that it's a sympathy card with money orders in it. And in, su- and in the card, it says, Dear Scott, we're so sorry for the loss of your wife. You and your kids are in our prayers. What? And she was like, exactly. And then she was like, what the fuck? The reason that she was estranged from her boyfriend, um, they never married. They were just in a relationship. They have four kids. That's commitment enough. Yeah. It was because he had recently been acting really strange over the last couple of years. He became very secretive. He didn't want to do anything with her and the kids. And sometimes he was like irrationally angry and violent. He didn't want her to have a cell phone for some reason. And Mm -hmm. there was this one day where she wanted to take the kids to his work to visit him at, um, he worked at CNM Machines, and she wanted to take the kids there to surprise him for lunch. And he was like, no, 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 don't come up here. That's Uh way too dangerous. Don't. And so... Sounds like a guy who doesn't have a job. Yeah. Well, he did have a job. So she went up to his work to ask, to talk to his boss. And his boss was like, what are you doing alive? <gasps> yeah. His his boss was told, Scott had told his whole work that his wife had died. Oh. That he told them, so he lied about them being married. He said they were married. And then he told them all that he had died. And for the last year, he had been faking this whole long fake story about her battling with stage four cancer, that she had a double mastectomy. And then she finally lost her battle with cancer. What? Yes. Was he doing it for money? Money. Mm-hmm. Always about so money. apparently his work had given him $7,000 in donations. And then when he told them that she had died was when she had finally cut off ties with them. And, you know, when she finally was like, you, you need to move out because he was acting crazy. And then yeah. that's when he ended up going back to his work and being like, oh, she died. Oh, yeah. Okay. But that's why he didn't want her to like come to his work or have a phone or go out at all. You yeah. Know, he didn't want anybody to see her. So apparently he had, when he started doing this, he actually held a fundraiser for his sick wife and his four kids. And that fundraiser got him about $2,000. And then over the next few months, co-workers say willing took more and more money from them including five thousand dollars from the owner of cnm because welling um scott wellington told them that he couldn't afford christmas that year oh so my god how low i know so tabitha ends up getting a restraining order from him and then his boss called the police immediately to report that it was a theft yeah and when the police 
brings Scott in. He gives him this boohoo story about how times were just financially tough and he was just trying to do whatever he could to make ends meet for his family, even if that meant lying. He was charged with two counts of theft by deception, one for the $5,000 um, from the boss and then one for the $2,000 from the fundraiser he yeah. set up. And then in May 16, 2000. 11, he accepted a deal and pled guilty to one count, but he still claims that he did it to support his family. Like, he doesn't think there's anything wrong with that. But Tabitha's like, that's fucking bullshit because none of us saw any of that money. Right. You didn't do it for Yeah, us. yeah, you didn't do it for yeah. the family. So he only spent one night in jail and was put on probation. And Tabitha is doing well and her kids are doing well, but they have no contact with Scott. That's crazy. Yeah, isn't that nuts? That's just like such an elaborate scheme to get not that much money. I know. What a lunatic. Has he not heard of GoFundMe? I mean, he could do it all on the internet. Yeah, just like, no, I mean, you don't want to scam anybody. <laughs> I'm trying to think of an example of where it would be acceptable. No, just don't do it. It's not acceptable. <laughs> Get a fucking job. Get a fucking job. Get a, job. Get a fucking job, Scott. <laughs> hey, that's my quickie. That was a good one. Hey, Jen. Hey, Sally. Do you want to hear my crazy story? Yes, I do. Okay, so this one's pretty nuts. It comes from a 48 Hours Investigates. Yeah. I'm really into 48 Hours recently. And then a a lot of it comes from the Denver Post. There's a reporter who did, an investigative reporter called Brian Moss, who wrote about it, this story a lot. And then there was a Rolling Stone article by Caleb Hannon, who also wrote a book about this case called The Accident. Okay, so this is a story of Harold Henthorne. So the weekend of her 12th wedding anniversary in September of 2012, Tony Henthorne was celebrating with her husband, Harold, in Rocky Mountain National Park. They were out for a hike, when she fell off a cliff. So when Harold called 911, he sounded out of breath. He said, hello, my name is Harold Henthorne. I'm in Rocky Mountain National Park, and I need an Alpine rescue team immediately. The operator transferred him to the National Park Service, and he told them, my wife has fallen from a rock on the north summit of Deer Mountain. She's in really critical condition. She had a bad fall, about 30 or 40 feet. The second operator told him to hold. For several seconds, you can just hear him on the phone breathing. The two were in a remote area. They had gone off the trail and helicopters were unable to land there. So the park service had to send a rescue team in, but it took over an hour for them to hike to the spot they were at. So Harold was communicating with the operators pretty much throughout, telling them that Tony's breathing was getting weaker. Operators were giving him instructions on how to do CPR. And they then tell him that a ranger is close and has been yelling for him, and Harold says he can't hear the ranger. So he tells the operator that his phone battery is low, and then his phone turns off. So to back up, uh, in 1999, Tony had met Harold on Christian Matchmakers, which was like, I think, an early Christian mingle. Why are they always so (laughs) godly? Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. At first, family and friends thought they were a good match, like Harold was outgoing, and he told anyone who would listen how smitten he was with Tony. And she seemed happy. She had been kind of unlucky in love for a long time. They had both been married before. Tony's first marriage had ended in divorce, and Harold was a widower. His first wife, Lynn, had died several years earlier in a car accident. 
And Tony was a successful eye surgeon. She lived in Jackson, Mississippi. That's where her family was and her friends. And that's where she met Harold. And Harold was a fundraiser for hospitals and churches. And they ended up getting married only nine months after they met in this big Southern wedding. And both of them were, they were in their late 30s at the time. And so they wanted to have a kid. And so they got married pretty soon. They actually moved to Denver, Colorado pretty soon after they got married because Harold had lived there before. And Tony joined a local ophthalmology practice there. So in 2005, they finally welcomed a daughter, Haley, And to outsiders, the pair seemed like a perfect, happy family. But to Tony's parents, Yvonne and Bob Bertlett, they saw a man who had slowly taken more and more control over their daughter's life. Oh, no. So after convincing Tony to move to Colorado, away from everyone she knew, Harold refused to fly back to the South with Tony. And even though he said that he made millions of dollars with this fundraising business, he like wouldn't pay for her parents right. to fly out there. And even though Tony and her mom had always been best friends, her mom was a nurse and that was the reason Tony ended up going to med school. All of a sudden, Tony could never talk on the phone with her parents alone. So every time oh they God. called, Harold would answer the phone. <gasps> and then instead of giving the phone to Tony, he would put it on speaker and so that he was always listening in and oh he would God, do like rude. all of the talking. And they said it always sounded like she was like in another room talking to them. And then they noticed like Yvonne and Bob, her parents noticed that the control only got worse once Haley was born. Harold planned every single minute of Haley's days. He controlled what she ate, refused to let Tony put Haley to bed at night. Oh my God. And he had, even long after she was a baby, he had cameras in her room and would continually monitor Haley. So Tony's parents knew that she was unhappy, and but they also knew that because her first marriage failed, the fact that she and Harold had a child together, she was a Christian. She wanted to make it work. She wanted to make it work. They were like, she's probably never going to divorce him. And so they were just trying to be supportive. And so Tony, but Tony confided that she was starting to get suspicious that Harold's, there was something going on with Harold's job because Harold told everybody that he was making millions of dollars but he also took care of the couple's finances. And every time Tony was able to look at their bank accounts, which was not very often, there was not as much in there as there should be. Like Tony's parents had actually given them almost half a million dollars over the 10 years of their marriage. And wow, she was like, why? even with that, because they were rich. Oh, okay. Because <laughs> they were rich too. I Dang. don't know. And Tony Easy was an straight. eye surgeon, so she was making a oh, ton yeah. of money. So it's not like... They weren't doing well. It's just that like if he was also making all this money, it just didn't add up. But whenever Tony's mom tried to talk to her about her concerns, she would she was always like, I want to talk to you need to talk to Harold about this. Tony would be like, no, if if I do, I'll suffer the consequences. And her mom said she always said it in kind of a joking way. Like she meant, oh, well, if things weren't the way Harold wanted them, he would, Tony would have to listen to him talk and talk and talk because he was just very dominant. Right. And she was like, if he didn't get his way, she would never hear the end of it. So she always shut down any worries that her parents had. Her parents were like, there were times in the relationship where things did seem good. Mm-hmm. And so they felt they were concerned, but they just were like, well, what we, what can we do about this? They live far away. We don't see them that often. And Tony just never wants to hear what we have to say about it. And then they ended up both having health issues. Actually, in 2006, Harold had to have surgery for blocked arteries. 
And then in 2011, Tony had an accident. She and Harold went up to their cabin in the mountains and this heavy wooden beam fell on her. Oh my God. And Tony told her mom, I saw something on the floor and if I hadn't picked it up, it would have killed me instantly. But something hit the back of her neck and fractured her vertebrae and then she lost some sensation (gasps) in her hands. Was it a beam? It was a beam. But, but I mean, did it fall? I don't know. <gasps> so when Harold called Tony's parents to tell her about it, he was like, it's nothing. It's fine. She's a surgeon. She thought, I'm not going to be able to do surgery again. Oh, my God. And Yvonne, as you are, Tony's mom, Yvonne is Tony's mom, um, was suspicious mm-hmm. of whether this was actually an accident. Really? Because her instincts mm-hmm. were telling her something's very wrong in this marriage. And so Tony ended up going home to Mississippi soon after the accident Good, get by the herself. And Yvonne was like, this is my only time alone. I'm going to, I'm not going to hold back anymore of talking about what we're worried about Harold. She told Tony, I don't think that was an accident at all. Wow. And she told Tony, she thought Harold wasn't working as much as he said he was. She said she thought he was probably living off of his first wife's insurance settlement from her car crash. Wait, Um, his first wife died did i miss this completely yeah i mean i kind of said it quickly but yeah oh, his so fir- his first wife died and he got a lot of money from it yes oh yes so i missed that i don't know i said he was a widower that she, oh, okay I, his first wife lynn died in a car accident she told tony that harold he might even be having an affair nothing seems to add up about him mm-hmm. so Um, Yvonne said, you do with this what you want, but I would be very careful. I would not go anywhere alone with this man. Wow. And Yvonne is telling her daughter this, and and Tony is just sitting there, and she didn't say anything. She just didn't respond. And then two days later, she went back to Colorado. And it wasn't just her parents who had concerns about Harold. The people who worked in Tony's eye practice saw it too. When doctors would have meetings, Harold would go be a part of it. Like, which is so so weird. So weird. The staff adored Tony, but they were like, no, Harold was creepy. He made everybody uncomfortable. He was always smiling. They were like, he's always smiling. He had like a permagrant. It was just, he was... the joker. Yeah, they're like, he was Mm -hmm. too friendly. He was very controlling. He wouldn't let her schedule anything outside of her normal schedule unless they went through Harold first. Isn't that crazy to think? Yes, Here's this woman a, who's like a, a surgeon. A surgeon. Holy shit. Yeah. So in September of 2012, Harold actually asked Tammy, who was office manager, to help plan his 12th wedding anniversary surprise, which was a trip to Rocky Mountain National Park. And so he was like, hey, can you secretly clear Tony's schedule so that you, she can leave early? And Tammy said the guy was creepy, but she was married to him. And if he was going to do something nice, it was kind of exciting. Like maybe like, okay, maybe he's not so bad. That's what she thought. And so the entire office actually got involved because they loved Tony. And they were like, okay, maybe he's like actually treating her well. Even like I love my husband and he would never murder me, I think. But I, (laughs) I would be annoyed if my schedule was cleared there's something very controlling about all of it yeah yeah i I, like i don't i don't think i would see that as a romantic gesture that would no piss me off yeah sorry no (laughs) oh no i was just trying to i was like man yeah i don't i wouldn't mind if ben cleared my schedule (laughs) um but my work is is very well my work's very different than yours i I just was thinking it'd be nice to have a couple days off well yeah (laughs) 
I guess I'm controlling because I would yeah. be like, I would have way too many questions. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> what are you going to, who's going to make up this work? What are you yeah. going to do? <laughs> Who did you talk to? Yeah. So actually when, when Harold came to surprise her at work, a coworker took out her cell phone and recorded the surprise. So you can actually see this oh, on YouTube wow. and it's actually the last e- image. It's the last time anybody who was close to her saw her alive <gasps> other than Harold. So on September 29th, 2012, Harold and Tony went up to the trail on their anniversary trip. It's a beautiful fall day. They, they go off of the, the normal path, but Tony had bad knees, so it actually meant like going off trail would have been very difficult for her. And you can actually see pictures of the two of them on this trip before her fall. Um, and they're like, they look happy. They're oh, like man. arms around, big grins. But then later that day, Barry, who is Tony's brother, got a text from Harold. And it says, Barry, it's urgent. Tony is injured in Estes Park, fall from a rock. And then Barry got the news that Tony hadn't survived the 140-foot <gasps> fall. He originally said it was 30 He said feet. 30 to 40 feet. Oh, my God. Um, at 50 years old, Tony Hinthorn was dead. Oh, no. And when he heard about his daughter's death, Bob Bartlett said he pushed her, like instantly oh, knew. Man. So law enforcement started investigating, but there were no witnesses, and it so it was going to be a very hard case to prove. But there were things that weren't adding up. So Harold's story to Tony's brother changed about what happened that day. First, he was like, oh, I was lagging behind, and then when I caught up to her, she was already at the bottom. And then he says that he got a text message, and then when she looked up, he looked up, she was gone. She had fallen off the cliff, so he doesn't even know what happened. And then the next like next thing he knows, he says, oh, she was taking a picture to me and she stepped back and fell. So actually during his call to rescuers, mm-hmm. he told them that he was doing chest compressions and CPR, but then when the coroner was examining her body, her pink lipstick was completely intact, which like if he had done CPR would not be the yeah. case. Um, and then thank God he's an idiot. Yeah, he's he's an idiot. Because so, then they have like proof. They have something. I mean, yeah, they always say they're, they're suspicious, like, right? Suspicions. It's more than yeah. just suspicions. Because then they find inside his his jeep, they find a map with a hand drawn X right at the spot that Tony fell. What the fuck? Yeah. Holy shit! That's like some Scooby Doo murder mystery shit. Like yeah, right. just like. <laughs> Made an X on a map. This is where I'm going to kill her. Right there. God. And then, of course, there were over $4 million in life (gasps) insurance policies on her. Oh, my God. Yeah. And then, of course, like, so if law enforcement officers weren't already suspicious, they start getting calls and letters requesting people to look into Harold because everybody was like, he sucks. He did it. And then, so reporter Brian Moss, who I told you, wrote a lot of these um, articles. He Mm -hmm. got a tip. And it was just an honest tip. It said his first wife died in a freak accident, too. Her <gasps> name was Lynn Henthorne. Lynn had died 17 years earlier. So on May 6, 1995, Harold's first wife, also of 12 years, Lynn, had died. Everybody, he told everybody it was a tragic car accident. Uh-huh. But and it was, she was killed by a car. But what happened was she was crushed underneath their Jeep Cherokee. <gasps> Harold Hinthorn had told law enforcement that he and Lynn had gone out to dinner and for a drive in a remote area called Sedalia. And while they were driving, Harold thought he was getting a flat tire. So he pulled off onto the shoulder in the dark to change the tire. 
And he said Lim was helping like hold the tire's lug nuts and that one had fallen under the car and she went to get it and the, and, and the car fell on top of her. Oh my God. So the sheriff's office responded and started investigating, but just like with Tony, he's told a number of conflicting stories. Like mm-hmm. he told one deputy that they were driving back from dinner. He told another deputy they were going to dinner. One report, he said that Lynn called out his name after the Jeep fell on her. And then the other one, he told an investigator that Lynn said, I think something's on me. And he told one deputy he pulled her out from underneath the Jeep. He told another that people who stopped to help had pulled her out. <gasps> And then, of course, Lynn also had a big life insurance policy. She had almost $600,000, and this was a woman who made $14,000 a year as a social worker, which is a crazy amount of money. So the sheriff's office investigated Lynn Henthorne's death for only six days, and they closed the case, calling it an accident, as did the coroner at the time. And that was actually what her family, Lynn's family, believed until Tony's death. Oh my God. 17 years later. Yeah. So they were still friends with him. They were still friendly with him. So they never knew about all the suspicious circumstances surrounding her case. All they knew was that it, what he told them. So they never knew about all the stories he had told. They never knew about the life insurance. All they knew, they, he told him it was like $200,000, but it was over $600,000. There was a footprint that somehow I don't really understand how it proves anything, but somehow it does that they never knew about a suspicious footprint. I think that showed that he kicked the jacks out from under the car while she was under it. Oh my God. And the witnesses and the first responders that went to, that were at the accident that night, all were pushing for them for to investigate. investigate. Yeah, because they were like, he was this so creepy. Weird. It was, yeah. yeah, he didn't seem like he wanted her to be saved. It was very weird. So, okay, so now federal investigators are looking at both Lynn and Tony's murders. And with the information about Tony, the coroner who's work, who worked on Lynn's case reopens her case and changes her cause of death from accident to undetermined. And investigators dig further into Harold's past and they found that he had not worked in 20 years. <gasps> he had never had a job. He was not a fundraiser. He had just been pretending to work. Oh, my God. Which is like just so crazy. So, so law enforcement also think that the time that Tony was struck in the head by that beam, he, did he was trying yeah. to kill her. And then they find out that Harold had taken a life insurance policy on secret out on Lynn's sister-in-law, her name was Grace Rischel. That is Rischel. so crazy that you can do that. Yeah. So for $400,000. And so they were like, I wonder if she was going to be next. Because he had actually gone to see her um, just like a month before Tony died. And so oh. he, he was like, she was wondering, like, I wonder if he was going to be grooming me next. Yeah. Why else would he take a life insurance policy? Well, right. Yeah. On, on his dead wife's ex-sister-in-law. I mean, it was just crazy. So Grace actually said, who was a sister-in-law, said that when Tony died, Harold sent her an email saying, my bride is gone, which was the exact same email he had sent her when Lynn died. Oh my God. Creepy. Yes. He also had rushed to have- My bride? My bride is gone. Oh my God. I've never referred to my husband (laughs) as my groom. My groom is gone. 
He's gone to Costco. <laughs> I'm going to start doing that just to freak Zach out. <laughs> Zach's going to try an experiment this week. <laughs> oh, groom. <laughs> just no, don't, don't do it in, to his, him in person. Just do it like to as you're friends, talking to other like, people in front of him. I don't know if I can make it. I need to ask my groom. Let's <laughs> see what his schedule's like. My groom schedule. <laughs> it's creepy. It's, it's like that enough should send him to jail just yes. by calling her my bride. Ooh. My bride is gone. He had also rushed to have Tony's body cremated and against her family's wishes, and he had done the same thing with Lynn. They always do that. And then he also spread both of their ashes at the same place. Oh my god! So creepy. Okay, so finally, two years after Tony's death, on November of 2014, Harold was arrested and charged with first-degree murder of Tony. Good. And although there were no charges brought for the murder of Lynn, a judge ruled that the circumstances circumstances surrounding Lynn's death could be presented at Harold's trial for Tony's murder just mm-hmm. to show a pattern of behavior. So he's done this before. Um, and actually, the reporter Brian Moss said, going into the trial, I was thinking this is kind of a toss-up. You have no eyewitnesses. There's no confession because Harold had never said anything except for that he was innocent. And you're wondering, like, if there's one holdout juror, if one person doesn't buy this circumstantial evidence, can the government really sell this case? And then one thing that the prosecution brought up that nobody had heard before at trial was Harold's cell phone records. And they actually showed that he had made nine trips to the remote area (gasps) where Tony had died to scout out. What a stupid idiot. He's... A real dumb dumb, oh and they they brought up, of course, the inconsistencies in his stories, the lipstick, the life insurance, and his first wife's Guilty. mysterious death. Yes, yeah, so the defense attorney rested his case without calling a single witness, and he was confident that jurors would see Tony's death as an accident. Oh my god! And they said that Harold sat at the defense table just looking smug, like. Yeah. Was he smiling with his creepy joker face? His creepy jokery smile. And after 10 hours of delicious... Oh. Of delicious. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> oh, did you hate... Like, my brain... Why will my brain not... Like, I know what I'm trying to say. Why is my brain to my mouth? It's like misfiring. The same kind of day. Okay. So after 10 mm-hmm. hours of deliberation, the mm-hmm. jury took a vote. The por- four person said... Who's for guilty? And every hand went up. Hell yeah. So first vote, done. He was sentenced to life in prison. Harold has appealed his conviction, saying that the evidence of Lynn's death should have never been let in. But he took this appeal all the way up to the Supreme Court. And in 2018, they ruled against him. Good. He has never been charged for Lynn's murder. Um, The couple's daughter, Haley, once she was away from her father, it was obvious that he had been brainwashing her but within six months she was no longer even calling him dad she called him mr henthorn wow so now she is actually being raised by tony's brother barry and his wife so that's the story of harold henthorn man i can't wait to google and see how dumb his joker face looks Hey, Sally. Jen, yes. Are, are you ready for my love story this week? I am. Is it a good one? It is. It's a good one. <laughs> it's, it's good. There's like... Um, I'll just, you know what? I'll judge for myself. Okay, yeah. No, there's... It's very interesting. So this one's kind of topical because as you know, Kirk Douglas just passed away. I did not know you that. You didn't know that? Yeah, okay. So very sad, Kirk, but also he was very old. 
Thank you for saying that. People are very upset. And I'm like, yes, but he was 103 years old. Right. Like, he's not going to live for you forever. Right. He did a real good job. He did a good job. He did a good job. thank you. And goodbye. (laughs) No, I'm sure, like, it's sad. You know what I mean? Yes, but it's... sad for his family and friends, but it's to be expected when one is 103 years old. Yes. Yes? Yes. Okay. So, um, this is the love story of... um, Kirk Douglas and Ann Bidens, his wife of 60 plus years. Oh, that's a good yeah. one. Good. Um, there is um, a book actually called, that came out a few years ago called uh, Kirk and Ann, and it's the letters of love, laughter, and a lifetime in Hollywood. It's mm-hmm. like about their love story. And this article, it was written for Town and Country from Chanel Vargas wrote this. Thanks, Chanel. Thanks, Chanel. So I'll be getting all of my information from her. So as you guys may or may not know, um, Kirk Douglas was an Academy Award winning actor. He was the icon of the um, film industry's golden age. Mm. Um, but most people know him for, he was very famous in the uh, 50s and 60s, and he was most famous for his starring role in the 1960 film Spartacus. Okay, yes. Spartacus. After he was an actor, he was also a director, producer, and author. And throughout it all, he was married to Ann Bidens. But it was not a love at first sight type sitch. Uh-huh. Situation. So in 1953, they met on the set of Act of Love. And Ann Bidens was a... Can I tell you that it's like to my ears, every time you're saying Bidens, it sounds wrong. <laughs> because I'm like, it's Biden. Oh, yeah. yeah. Sorry. <laughs> sorry. No, no. It's spelled B-U-Y-D-N-S. So Bidens, right? Yeah, yeah. No, that's oh, okay. right. I, I mean, you're saying it right. It's just Biden. <laughs> I'm like, maybe you could just say it differently for me. Sorry. <laughs> maybe you could change her name. Sorry for... That she existed. (laughs) So she was a film publicist and she was living in Paris at the time when he was there filming and a photographer friend introduced them. He wanted to bring her back to his trailer, I Uh guess. But he said, come on, let me take you to the lion's den. Just creepy. And so she brought, so (laughs) they went back there just to talk or whatever. Uh And then he invited her to dinner and he said, um, this is what he said in an interview with the LA Times. He said, I thought I'll take this young beauty to dinner at the most romantic and expensive restaurant in Paris, which is called La Tour de Jeanne. And And what is that name? I, the tour agent? I don't know. Pardon my French. <laughs> not good. Um, he said, she's sure to approve my ta- of my taste and my ability to get a last minute reservation. Like, jerk off motion. So, um, but Anne actually declined his offer and said, no, thank you. I think I'll just go home and make myself some scrambled eggs. Yeah, Which Ann Biden's. Like, yeah, that's so baller. I love that. And so he, it apparently caught him completely off guard. And he said, she was the most difficult woman I've ever met. <laughs> I mean, I was a big movie star and I invited her to dinner and she said, oh, thank you very much, but I'm so tired. That's the most difficult woman you ever met? Just because right. she didn't want to have dinner with you? So she did become his publicist and their relationship was platonic for a while and this is where uh, things started to change um you know kirk douglas told um it wrote in his book kirk and ann he wrote i stopped talking about myself and began to listen to her what a notion (laughs) well probably was a big notion in the 60s right yeah was it the 60s 50s 
And so then he started like making it a point to prove that he was different than the typical Hollywood actor. Apparently they went to a charity gala that was at a circus and Anne said that she saw Kirk helping scoop elephant dung, fully dressed in a tuxedo. And she said, that's what got me is what she told USA Today. She said, it's not only funny, but it showed me that he was able to do things that are not expected of him. Okay. So she warmed to him. Yeah. And then they eventually got married in 1954. And they had two children together, uh, Peter and Eric. You may know um, his other sons, Michael and Joel, were from his previous marriage, um, an actress named Diana Douglas. Okay. Um, so I was like, I know he has a famous son. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Peter or Eric. <laughs> no. And so in one of the letters from Kirk and Anne, you know, these are all letters that they wrote to each other. He wrote to Anne about how much he missed her when he was away filming uh, Stanley Kubrick's film Paths of Glory. And he wrote, Darling, how is it that when I'm away from you, such love for you overwhelms me at 2.30 in the morning as it is now? I awake to write to you. How incomplete I seem without my family. How can a man live alone? To live just for yourself is to be dead. And yes, I welcome this parting from you to rekindle my awareness of how much you mean to me. The early hour brings out the poetic side of me. I guess. He was a poet. That was nice. Mm -hmm. And so then she wrote him back and was like, I'm so sad and depressed. I don't think I ever wanted to be near you as much as right now she wrote the toilet paper is too hard the coffee is too strong the telephones are impossible don't i sound like a true american but even (laughs) being a european broad what on earth am i doing here and so i guess this is just how they wrote to each other yeah uh because back then you didn't have cell phones and facetime or emails. Their relationship wasn't always perfect. He was a Hollywood actor. Mm-hmm. And he he admits that he had affairs with actresses like Rita Hayworth, Patricia Neal, and um, Joan Crawford's daughter, Christina Crawford. Which is kind of weird because isn't he like way closer to John, John Crawford's age? I don't know. I don't know. I would so, think yes. Yeah. So, but Anne said that, you know, she was very European. And things are different there. Right. And so she said that she, oh, he never tried to hide his dalliances from me. As a European, I understood it was um, completely unrealistic to expect total fidelity in a marriage. So, hey, I, guess I yeah, I'm work for them. I'm for that if that's what works for them. You know what I mean? Like, I'm like, hey, if people, as long as people are open and honest, and both sides are agreeing, then, then, yeah, then do whatever do works for you. Yeah, as long as everybody's on board. Yeah. Then you do it works. It says that she actually saved his life because in 1958, Kirk was invited to fly on a private plane to Palm Springs to from Palm Springs to New York with um, director Mike Todd, who was Elizabeth Taylor's husband at the time, and he was going to present Mr. Douglas with the Showman of the Year award at the New York Friars Club. Okay. But, which, you know, big deal. You know, it's a really big deal. I didn't mean that sarcastically. Yeah. Big whoop. Big whoop. No, I mean, it, it, we've it, all been presented with <laughs> best at the Friars Club. I mean, who has it? Who among us? <laughs> so it was a really big deal, but Anne just had this really weird feeling. And yeah. she w- begged him, begged him not to go. She just insisted and insisted and insisted and said, don't you dare get on that plane. Don't you get on. And she couldn't explain herself. She just knew, I don't want you to go. Yeah. And they had a big fight. 
And he said that he wouldn't go, but he was like pissed right. that he had to stay home for her. And then shortly thereafter, the radio news announced that Todd's plane had crashed and left behind no survivors. <gasps> crazy insane that's so insane yeah she just knew yeah and then not only did she save his life in that sense but apparently she also saved his fortune it says that when the couple began seeing each other officially in 1953 he was completely oblivious to his own financial Mm -hmm. situation like he just didn't know what was going on and so it wasn't until Anne questioned his business manager and like looked into his finances that she found out that he was pretty much broke but rather than just leaving him for being broke (laughs) (laughs) she's uh, used the business skills that she learned from her father and she helped find someone to help Douglas invest his salary and Mm -hmm. she saved him millions of dollars hell yeah yeah she's a boss I know And so they actually, together, they became prominent Los Angeles philanthropists. And they're very giving. On For years, they provide Thanksgiving dinner to the homeless at the Los Angeles Mission. Because apparently that's where he would get his meals from when he first came to L.A. and he didn't have money. Oh. Isn't that sweet? Yeah. And so after 60 years of marriage, they said that their romance never faded and they renewed their vows for their 50th anniversary and hosted a big wedding like they never had before, but it was like their dream wedding. Yeah. As I said, uh, Kirk is a poet Mm -hmm. and he wrote in a collection of poems and stories entitled Life Could Be Verse. He wrote a poem called Romance Begins at 80 and he wrote it for his wife and it goes like this. Do you want me to? Yeah. Can you? No, don't. (laughs) No, do. Okay. Okay. Romance begins at 80. And I ought to know. I live with a girl who will tell you so. The end. Oh. (laughs) I mean, very sweet, Kirk. Yeah, very sweet. Very sweet, Kirk Douglas. Wonderful actor. Amazing actor. <laughs> I, he's good at doing one-arm push-ups. Maybe not the best poet, but good heart. Very good heart. Good heart. Good heart. Good for him. Um, and that is the love story of Kirk and Ann Douglas. Oh, I'm snap, snap, snaps snap, all snap, around snap, for snap, that. <laughs> okay, should we do something dumb and something we love? Let's do it. I mean, we might as well. Let's finish strong. Let's do it. Should we just peter out? Yeah. Okay. Um, Um, so my something dumb and something I love, sorry, this is like a little serious, but well, this isn't serious. Max is turning, has turned four. Yay! He's four. And it has like really brought up a lot. I'm just so sad because my mom's not here. Oh no, I'm sorry. Yeah, it's just, you know, she loved him so much (laughs) and feel like it's like I'm doing better. But then like every once in a while, I'll just be like a hit with this wave of, oh, my mom's gone. Yeah. <laughs> and we to a birthday party for him and just all of that has really like brought up a lot of these are the things she would have loved. She like made such a big deal about everybody's birthdays and she loved giving presents and she loved making people feel special. And I just am really missing that right now. So it's like you went through uh, for a while. You're just kind of going through the motions of yeah. um, losing someone. And then it's when it starts to set in as right it's like oh well now this is real life yeah yeah so anyway i'm so sorry yeah but max is four that's fun (laughs) 
And I love that. Yes. <laughs> and there, we keep seeing rainbows, which we know is a sign. Yeah, I did. Was yeah. driving to work the other day and just a rainbow appeared. And I was like, oh, hey, there you are. Oh. Yeah. So, yeah. Nice. so anyway, okay. So what do you got? You want to top that? <laughs> well, I did. Well, I, the other thing I just, I've been wanting to say something about grief uh-huh. for a little bit just because I'm like, you know, I know I talked about it like one time and had a big cry. And then I just, you know, if anybody who's been through a loss or is going through it, you know that it's not just, okay, now I'm okay. And I don't yeah. want to make it seem like that's the rea- my reality. Yeah, It's like I'm functioning and things are mostly fine, but then they're also just not. So, and that's okay. That's and I'm, yeah. absolutely And so okay. I just want, if you're going through something and you're not feeling okay, don't hear me talking for one hour a week and seeming like upbeat and fine and think that like, oh, well, I should be like that because that's not my reality all the time. Oh, what's crazy is that for something dumb, what I was going to say was, it's raining so much. <laughs> it is raining so much. It won't so stop much. raining. But then with the rain comes the rainbows. So we wouldn't get the rainbows if we didn't have the rain. There you go. There you go. I don't, I'm, that's what I love then, the yeah. rainbows. So I'm not even going to do something I love because it was stupid. <laughs> so I think, I think I'll end it there. Okay. That's cool. <laughs> well, all right. Now I'm going to, um. I'm going to pitch you guys. If you guys love us, like we love you, follow us like on all we the love places. Our, if you love us, like we love us. <laughs> if you love us, like we love us, then you should follow us on all the places. Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, at Dumb Love Podcast. Send us a message. Send us an email at dumblovepod at gmail.com. I, I meant to say, someone, when I was at a show recently, came up to me and said that they listened to the podcast and it like made my whole... Yeah, that's day. It's really Week, great. Really, yeah. yeah. So, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, uh, thank you guys so much. Get out there and go do something dumb for love. Dum da dum 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 da dum da dum dum da dum.